For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and an inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur. We also believe that what you focus on grows. So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month. And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshe.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the Angie Spoke Podcast. Our guest today is Jamia Wilson. Jamia is many things, an activist, a feminist, a storyteller, a media maker, but more than anything, she is a natural-born thought leader. As executive director and publisher of Feminist Press at City University of New York, the former Women Action and the Media executive director, and former vice president of programs at the Women's Media Center, Jamia has been a powerful force in the social justice movement for nearly a decade. She's a leading voice on feminist and women's rights issues, and her work and words have appeared in and on several outlets such as New York Magazine, The Today Show, and The Washington Post. She's currently writing a book about Beyonce and feminism. Cannot wait. Many have called her the next generation feminist leader, and we are so pleased to have had the opportunity to speak with her about her work, her life, and her friendship with Gloria Steinem. Please enjoy Jamia Wilson. Welcome, Jamia, to the show. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Jamia, let's get to know you to start. You wear a lot of hats. Tell us a little bit about who you are. I am a feminist. I'm an activist. I'm a writer and I'm an editor. I love to work on anything connected to stories and anything connected to justice and equity. And you're an author. How many books have you written? So I have written a co-authored one book for adults, Roadmap for Revolutionaries. And I did that in partnership with two friends, Carolyn Giron and Elisa Camahort-Page. And I have several books for young readers. I have 
I think right now about five of those books, but I have another little baby book version of my first ever children's book, Young Gifted and Black. And so now we have Baby Young Gifted and Black, and I have a book for young middle grade readers coming out and teen readers coming out in August. So I'm going to be upping that number very soon. Yeah, we were looking at that. It looks really great. I'm so fascinated by your choice to aim your writing to the younger generation. I am a real big believer in what it means to be a good ancestor. And my friend Leela Saad has written a lot about that and has a podcast about being a good ancestor. I feel like a lot of it's cultural and how I've been raised in my African-American tradition around that to kind of think of the collective and think of the future generations and think of how the past informs the present and future. But for me, it always was the sweet spot and the joyful spot. I feel like the books that really helped shape my worldview were books that I read during those really sacred years of forming one's sense of self and identity. And that came for me in my tween and teen years and early college years. So I write a lot of those books to heal a part of myself that didn't get to see the diversity of stories that I felt I needed to see out in the world to feel seen and heard but also as a love letter to the young people who are coming up now who may feel alone or who may just need the affirmation of being understood, of being celebrated. And I think a lot of authors have this in mind when they write. They write to their needs. They write to their vision and their dreams. And that's very much my own motivation. But I also just love what happens when a book's out in the world as it relates to young readers. I love having a book out in the world and meeting my readers, hearing from them, receiving their letters, their art, their DMs, the YouTube videos of kids dressing up to read my books. And it just doesn't happen like that with adults. So there's some, this other kind of magic that I feel is the reward that I very much love. I was just watching a really beautiful young man dressed up as Mandela reading the Mandela chapter from Young, Gifted and Black. And it just made my heart sing for the entire day. So I just really connect with my inner child and I connect with that part of oneself that hasn't taken on the jadedness that the world pressures one to have as you get older and hasn't taken on the self-deprecation and the limitation and Mm -hmm. still embraces curiosity and love and confidence and joy and the purity of that. I'm very attracted to trying to tap back into that as much as possible. And that's why I write a lot for younger readers. Oh, I love that. I love it. I want to know, like speaking about influence as you're growing up, I want to learn more about your mom. Can you tell us who she was? Yes. So my mom was just such a beautiful person and just such a guiding light in my life and a soulmate for me. And, you know, she still is in spirit now, although she passed away in 2018 on Christmas day, everything she did was with such intention. So I always think, oh, you picked, you picked a memorable day that we wouldn't forget to leave this world. But she was just a trailblazer in her field, was an amazing speech pathologist, cared so much about the justice part of being a care provider and a healthcare provider, cared so much about equity and communication so that all people would have access to the human right to communicate. And so she would always describe 
her work and my dad's work in the field of speech pathology and speech science as helping people receive the dignity and support to communicate in this world. And my work as the free speech and the free expression work of making sure that everyone has the right to speak their minds, the right and the access to tell their stories in whatever mediums and to do that without persecution. And so they just taught me the importance of that. They taught me the importance of speech. They taught me the importance of recognizing different abilities with dignity and respect and having a vision for a world where everyone could get what they need. And my mom was also just a really brave, courageous person, not just in the civil rights work that she did, which taught me a lot about how I wanted to live my life and how I wanted to be active in activism, but also in the sense of just the generosity of spirit. We called her the encourager in chief. And she was very much, you know, an executive and an entrepreneurial spirit. She always had her own LLC and believed in the side hustle in addition to all the other work she did and imparted that in me, but just was always there to help other people and specifically other people who'd been marginalized in many ways to be able to access their power and whatever forms that was in. And so I just learned a lot from her. She was always an abundant person. She always approached things from a spirit of collaboration and community versus jealousy and competition. And that had taught me a great deal that I think has even continued to give me gifts many years later. To me, I'm wondering, it sounds like your activist journey started really young and also potentially your entrepreneurial journey. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about how those two themes weave together in your life. Mm, Yes. You know, I think I wrote a book for young readers called Step Into Your Power. And I think so much of that came from learning from my mom to step into your power. She would always say that to me. You know, sometimes I'd say, oh, this thing didn't go my way. I worked hard and I didn't win this thing. I lost the student council election, but I worked hard and I did this thing. And just because I did the hardest work, I should get something, you know, that kind of thing. And she'd always say, well, you lost this thing. So how can you step into your power? And I remember as a child, Mm -hmm. not necessarily loving this message or, you know, just feel like, oh, this situation happened and I don't like what side of it I'm on. It would always be, how can you step into your power? And it would feel rhetorical. And sometimes I'd be angry and think, oh, well, I've really been kicked down. I'm down right now. How are you going to tell me to step into my power when I'm down and I have no power? And she'd say, but what power do you have? What choice do you have to make? Even though, yes, you are down and we're going to acknowledge that. And something about that being the core lesson I felt that I learned from her has really served me well in my activism and in the entrepreneurial work that I've done, because I do tend to have that sort of athleticism, I guess, now because I was always challenged to do it and built that muscle. I'm down right now, but how am I going to step into my power? I mean, even as it has related to my being born monocular and being blind in one of my eyes and, you know, having people say, oh, I don't know if it's a good idea for you to play field hockey or other things where balls might be flying toward your face. (laughs) You know, my mom kind of saying, oh, step into your power and go convince them about why you can and how you're really good at adapting and how you have senses that other people haven't learned to deepen because you've had to adapt from birth to navigate this world and how you can do some things with strength that other people don't have because they haven't 
been dealt the same circumstances you have. And so there's something about that essence from her that has really helped me. And, you know, when it has an origin, I always think about the culture thing too, where, you know, I've heard Martin Luther King also refer to this, that, you know, what does it mean to crawl if you're not able to walk in the sense of being pushed down? And I think something about that resilience of spirit that I've been taught has been really helpful. Not that I think that the circumstances that led to it are good in any way. So I want to be clear about that, but just that spirit of thinking this in most circumstances, there were, and there's something about the difference between a response and a reaction that I've also learned from that example around as an activist, learning to respond versus react. Those are two very different things and learning to take the time to have a clear strategy and a choice as it relates to business and activism has served me well in life. And in the times that I have reacted instead of responded, I've thought, oh, I see the difference between how that turned out. Can you give us an example of that? Like, What does that actually look like in real life? Oh, yes. So I think, I mean, there's so many things I think about in real life. And I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but, you know, just in terms of financial decisions that I've made impulsively, thinking, I remember there was a time when I thought, oh, I don't know what I want to do. And I'd had some professional setbacks and things and felt like, oh, I need to find income and I need to find the right job to feel like I have purpose, you know, and whatever that means and not knowing what I wanted to do and not having it be clear and signing up for GRE and LSAT courses all at the same time. So I could feel like I was doing something and spending all this money on these courses. And I've still not gone to law school, but doing that because it felt like something that I should be doing to only come to a realization that, oh, I did that out of reaction because I felt like I needed to show people that I was doing something to have purpose in my career. In fact, I could maybe spent those funds with the information I have now, with the learning I've had now on getting a life coach or a business coach or investing in an LLC to start my own business or investing the funds in one of my interests. I haven't done this yet, but I've always thought, oh, I want to do a feminist tea brand, you know, or one of the things I want to start <laughs> that I needed to kind of go through that to think about what if I had sat down with myself to think about what it is that makes my heart sing and the intersection between that passion vision and what the world needs and take those funds to do it versus thinking, oh, well, society tells me that becoming a lawyer is a thing that people respect. So maybe I should take my savings and go take a really expensive course that I still have not utilized to do that. So that would be an example that came out of reaction and feeling like, oh, I need to feel like I'm doing something. Whereas what came from that was me feeling like I wasn't really connecting with the material, feeling a sense of dread that, oh, what happens if I do take the LSAT, do well enough to get in and have to actually go to law school? That then leading me to think, oh, I think I want to do something else. And why is it that I feel like I don't want to embrace what it is I feel like I was sent here to do? So I have many examples of that. And even in the nature of love and relationships, that's a whole other TED talk I could give <laughs> about how that has also played itself out in my life. Well, Jamia, you really dodged a bullet there with going to law school. As, as an attorney, I can tell you, having had very similar feelings and still felt like I'm just going to do it. It's the right thing. And then having, you know, a real sense of obviously this isn't the right path for me. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm an activist. And that was not the way for me to live out those dreams. So 
I would say sunk costs are a really good learning tool. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And it's funny you say that because I feel like I did get a gift in the sense of having some lawyers in my life who saw me doing this when I was doing it to say, okay, do you know what torts look like and how much you're going to have to do that? Because I think in my mind, I thought, oh, I'm going to go to law school. And then suddenly I'm going to be a civil rights lawyer and correspondent on court TV talking about racial justice and gender justice. And that's not usually how it turns out for the vast majority of people. Yeah. And that's desperately needed, but there's a whole system of debt that's associated with that legal degree that makes that great work really hard to do. So yeah, that's a whole other conversation. No, I'm glad you said it because that I was lucky enough to have a cousin of mine who has done really well in her legal career and is now in her dream job doing it. But when I was still kind of going back and not letting go of this, I need to take the LSAT and I need to get a good score and I need to do all these things. She said, well, you know, before I got to do this awesome job that you're sort of lionizing me for being in, I had to work at a corporate firm for X number of years to pay off all my loans before I was even able to move out of this place to go to the place where I'm doing it now. And so she, through those stories, really wanted me to know, do you really want to do this? Because this is what you're going to have to do. And it was such a gift, such a gift. And you're like, I'll just write another book. I'll write another book. (laughs) Way easier, way more impactful. (laughs) Thank you. I sometimes think about now the irony of it, though, and why all experiences are valuable is that I do spend a lot of time with contracts in the publishing world. So Mm -hmm. it is helpful because I do feel like I have a deep appreciation for our publishing lawyers and love to connect with them as a result. So I do think, right, the learning is always everywhere. I want to talk about Gloria Steinem. Mm. Obviously, we did some research and Jenny's like, oh my God, there's a picture of her and Gloria Steinem. (laughs) Tell us, tell us the story. Story, story. The story of Gloria. (laughs) So it was just Gloria's birthday. I just celebrated at her Zoom birthday party, which was really exciting. Just on March 25th, she is a wonderful person. I feel like my life has been so rich as a result of having Gloria in it. She's just such an amazing friend, human being and partner in the work. I would call her a mentor, but it's so ungloria to do that because she doesn't like the power imbalance that is implied in that because she says that she's learned from the younger generations too. So she's a friend and a partner and a beautiful person who has expanded my vision in the world and obviously countless others of visions of how we can see ourselves and each other and what's possible for freedom for all of us. And Gloria, I first met, and I always tell her this because I think I'm like the day you first think you met me, it may not be the same <laughs> as the day that we really met because you meet a lot of people because you are Gloria. But I met Gloria Steinem in 2004, when I was working at Planned Parenthood Federation of America as their national campus organizer and the principal of their youth organizing group. And Gloria was brought to our beleaguered group of people right before what was then before the Women's March, the biggest march in history for the March for Women's Lives and the biggest march in Washington in history. And Gloria was brought in to kind of rally us up before we were going to go and do this march for women's lives. And I remember asking her a question and getting an answer from her that I will never forget. And that experience made me think, oh, this woman, although I had a sense of who she was from my classes in school and watching her on TV, really saw not only is she really smart, visionary, and 
brave, but she's also hilariously funny and doesn't get credit for that amazing mm, sense of humor. I know that. Oh, she is one of the funniest people I know. And that's one of the things I just want to put on the record. Gloria Steinem is hilarious, <laughs> tells the best jokes. And I guess she told me that at one point she was writing for Saturday Night Live back in the day. So she's just, what? she's an amazing writer. So Gloria and I met then. But then when I think she remembers meeting me was when I started working at Women's Media Center. And she's one of the co-founders of the Women's Media Center, along with Jane Fonda and Robin Morgan. And Women's Media Center was started to amplify women's voices in the media. And I worked there as the vice president of programs, working on their media training program and doing a lot of work training women and girls there and also helping them with a lot of other pieces around direct action campaigns for making the media more just for women and girls and people of all genders. And Gloria and I got to then really get to know each other because I was working with her directly there and working with her team often. And so I really got to deepen our relationship and really love her and the team that she works with. And, you know, she's just been such a friend and a champion for me and so many others. She really lifts as she climbs and really changed my life by asking me to join her on the Today Show for an interview with Puda and Kathy about the anniversary of Ms. Magazine. Mm -hmm. And that really changed my life in many ways, but also helped me see that I could be helpful to this expansion of the media conversation on many different sides of it. And she's just opened a lot of doors in my life. And she was the reason that I began to be a part of the Omega Institute and joined their board that I still sit on. So I love her and have learned a lot from her. But in addition to just, you know, being grateful for her leadership and the work that she's done to pave the way, I'm really grateful for her solidarity. She's a true ally and co-conspirator to communities of color and has done a lot to elevate the importance of working cross-culturally and multiracial coalitions and across age. So I just have a tremendous amount of respect for not only the work that she's done, but how she does the work. She's so good about the how. She talks about it as the means are the ends. The means are the ends is what she says often. And she embodies that. My second question was, how does one become a friend of Gloria Steinem? So thank you for that very detailed answer. Because I'm like, how do you actually would ever meet Gloria Steinem? So that's amazing. And she's a friend. I mean, I would say she's a friend to so many. That's mm -hmm. her spirit. If you were to meet her and you'd be in conversation with her, she would find that connection and that love that she's just such a beautiful feminist humanist person. Mm -hmm. And so I think she's very easy to connect with. And her spirit of openness and love is very contagious and authentic. I think that's why so many people look to her as a tuning fork of justice and connection and community, because it's real. What you see is what you get with her. And I love it. Yeah. Remarkable human being. And I love that you brought up Omega too. We just had Elizabeth Lesser on the show love and she loved her. <laughs> Wonderful. And her book is also so good. Her new book. Yes. Cassandra speaks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So good. So we just had that amazing conversation. Yeah. So Jamia, I'm so curious, just given the work that you do in the world and the work that your family has done. And given the fact that increasingly, I think we're confronting more and more difficult realities, you know, just as humans here on the planet. And I'm wondering, how do you feel about the word hope? What's your relationship to that concept? And 
what tools do you use when you start to feel just a lack of motivation? Mm. Yeah. You know, hope is the thing that keeps me going. I think, you know, there's unfortunately I've seen a lot of suffering in this world and experienced a lot of it myself and had those close to me experience it. And I think that without hope, I think it'd be really hard. It'd be hard to continue to face each day with a spirit of possibility and renewal. And hope is what keeps me going. Hope is always that possibility that we can course correct. We can try to step into our power in a different ways. You can see, I really believe in that. That hope is the option to have faith that things can turn, that things can shift. Growing up, my dad used to always say that fortune always changes. And he would always say that when times were tough to remind us that, okay, today may feel like a really bad day, but tomorrow, though there's a storm today, we could wake up with sun. And I think about that a lot in terms of why I maintain hope to remember, okay, this is the weather, but I'm still a tree that is here. And if my branches are being broken, if my branches are swaying because there's a hurricane, the essential nature of the fact that I'm a tree does not change. And the weather, those are the conditions that I'm existing in right now, but they don't define me. And so for me, I have that relationship to hope as well. That hope is the reminder that we can always come back to the self. We can always come back to that essential nature of possibility and goodness and wholeness and tactness that we all have. And that I don't think eludes anyone, no matter what they've done in life or what conditions they've been handed. There's a real divide between acknowledging what you have control over and what you don't, right? Like this year has been so, there's no word. I don't even know what the adjective is for this year, but that's what I have to focus on too, is like what I can control because otherwise I think we just all break down, right? Oh my gosh. Yes. This year, I mean, I think it really helps to talk about it, to talk about how this year has manifested itself in so many ways that have made us all suffer. And that I think in a strange way has given me hope, not that I would wish suffering on anyone, but to say, we have all shared in a collective suffering. So what does the empathy that comes through that teach us? Like that in itself gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. I find that fascinating that collectively, like every single person on the entire planet right now has the same worries and fears. Like that's just from a sociology perspective. How does that play out over the next couple of years? I'm fascinated to see because never in the history has that ever been true. I don't think. Oh, it's so true. And even some of the collective experiences that we each experience ourselves thinking it's ourselves, right? But I stood in line to get my second dose of the COVID shot last oh, wow. week. Lucky. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I felt so lucky. I was thinking, oh, this is the only thing that having a chronic illness has ever oh, given me, you. right? That's been thank good. You. Thank you, yeah. asthma, for doing this, right? <laughs> but I remember when I got the shot and I went up to the little station in the Javits Center, you know, when they have all these soldiers, there were Marines that were escorting me over there to get it. It was so intense that I just started to cry. And the woman who was there with me said, why? And I said, oh, I lost my 98-year-old grandmother to COVID just mm -hmm. a few months ago. And if it had only been a few more weeks, she could have had this vaccine and she could still be with us. But I've, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude that I'm here in this seat 
because I know that. And then she was tearing up and she said, oh my gosh, my sister had COVID. And so just in the little cluster of people we were there, we were all telling these stories of how lucky we felt to have this moment, right? To get a shot, a thing that did not feel good. And I did not feel good for a couple of days afterward, but that we were just overcome with this feeling of saying like, we are lucky that not everyone, you know, there's over half a million souls that did not get to this point. And in their honor, we are able to just reflect on the beauty of life and how it feels to know that this is giving us a bit more of a chance at it in a really profound way. So I just was overcome with that. And, you know, they had a live pianist there at that time. Oh, too. beautiful. Oh my gosh. Amazing. They had an open piano that anyone could play. So someone was playing, but I just won't forget that experience. I didn't go in there thinking that I would break down, but it just really hit me to say, you know, that to be one of us who's able yeah. to get this is something that we should all express gratitude for and to try to make it possible for others to get to that experience too. Well, I'm in Canada and there's no vaccine on the horizon for me for a long time. So all of you need to get vaccinated very, very quickly, all my American friends. And then you guys are going to send all your extra vaccine up to us and then we will catch up. That's my Oh my plan. gosh. I hope so. It's the, only way. I it's the only way. I feel so badly about it. I have all these friends in Europe and Canada who've been telling me too, that it's just really hard. And I feel like that's what I'm hoping we get out of this experience too, is that I'll speak about Americans because I think Americans are specifically egregious about this, that Americans, I hope will start to learn about how our actions impact the rest of the world. The rest of the world knows this, (laughs) but I think this is kind of one of the clearest examples of how we really need to think about what that means. And I love to visit Canada and I was really happy when they closed the borders to us (laughs) Um, because I felt like this is important. I live in New York, so it's easy to get to Canada. And I love to go to Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal. And I love to go, but I thought this is a really important time for us to stay put and to sacrifice and understand that this is a global action that we're taking. This is important for us to learn also from other cultures about what we could have done to do it better. So we do it better next time. I love it. So now that you have the superpower of being vaccinated, what is the next year going to look like for you? Mm. So it's so interesting you say that. I think now that I'm vaccinated, I feel like I really want to see my dad. I haven't seen my dad in over a year. I've never had that experience of not seeing my family for so long. And so he's vaccinated now and I'm vaccinated. So in the next year, I hope I see my dad. It sounds like something that's so simple, but I want to see my dad in person and to give him a delicious hug. But I also think in the next year, I'm in a new role at Random House and I'm loving it. And I'm really excited to dive deeper and take what I think will be the still more time at home nature of my time in the coming months to really dive into my books with my authors. And I'm also working on another children's book just the very beginnings of it and the concept of that. So I'm planning on using some of the time that I think I will have not traveling and not going to events and things to be doing that. And then I think, but now that I am vaccinated, I think I'll be spending more time reconnecting with those who are in my close pod who I haven't been able to gather with. My little godchild who I met social distantly 
in her adoption ceremony outside that I'll probably get to hold her at some point. And that, you know, just having those sacred moments with my closest people, that's what I'm looking forward to. And I'm also just really looking forward to hopefully getting a lot more outside time. I know a lot of people who don't live in big urban areas have spent a lot of time outside during the pandemic, but there was a time here where I just didn't even really go outside because I live in Manhattan and I didn't want to be exposed to people at all because I have other conditions. And so I'm just excited now to go to the park every day and not feel like I'm risking my health by being around people. I'm excited to go out for ice cream on the weekends. Just the things that I took for granted, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just savor in life. And by next year, I'm hoping to leave the country again. I hope I've been taking French lessons again throughout the pandemic (laughs) and repicking up my French. And I am looking forward to, as soon as they let us back in, going to Paris and embracing friends and parlaying and manging and (laughs) doing all those delicious things. I don't know about you, but I'm like hugging random strangers, Ah, like random touching another human. Like just, I don't care who you are. Like I will be (laughs) hugging you like "Ah," the crazy lady down the street. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's so funny to think a year ago, if you gave this answer, you'd be like, what? that's what's Mm -hmm. important to me this year. Like everything's just sort of shifted, hasn't it? Like what's important, what we value. So the simplest things. Truly is. I mean, just, I want a barbecue. I want (laughs) to go and have a barbecue, right? It just sounds like the simple things I want. Oh, here's one. I want to get a haircut. Yes. Yes. That is very important. 100%. Yes. I can't even (laughs) talk about it. I have just daydreams about this idea of going (laughs) and sitting in a chair and having a haircut. Oh my gosh. Mm, Amazing. Indulgent, right? But I kind of like like the best thing. Yes. I'm going for a facial today and I'm super excited. (gasps) I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. We've already (laughs) talked about this. I'm very, very, I can't even imagine doing it. I can't. Yeah, she'll be all like hazmat suit and everything, but I'm not going to care. I need one because I've been getting mask (laughs) knee, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, All right, Jenny, let's do Jenny and Hustle. Okay, so Jamia, we ask all of our guests at the end of every episode to share something that's bringing you joy in your life right now that could potentially bring joy to our audience, as well as a tool that you use to hustle in your career. I think it's the same thing. I realized that learning languages was my passion in high school and in my tween years, I loved taking Arabic. I loved taking French. I loved taking Italian. And something happened around that time when I was trying to study for the LSAT, where (laughs) I was so focused on the grind, the hustle, hustling hard all the time, that I stopped doing those things that just gave me joy that were outside of work activities or outside of revenue generation or outside of my activist work and putting those things to the wayside. But these were things that I just enjoyed for the sake of doing them. Oh, I love... French food, French culture, French language, and immersing myself in learning their languages. I love to study abroad. And I decided because of the pandemic that I wanted to use this extra weekend time I had to start getting French tutor and to start really diving back into language. And I realized shortly thereafter, and maybe this is where I'm going to get woo-woo for a second with the spiritual stuff, but I'm going to go for it that In that, first, it was kind of, it gave me joy just to say, oh, French is such a beautiful language. I love the way that it teaches me to move my mouth in new ways, the way that the poetry is different, the poetic, lyrical nature of it. 
And that's joy just for joy's sake. And I get to watch beautiful shows and talk to beautiful people on italki. But then shortly after that, I was asked to do a speaking engagement with a French feminist organization. And I thought it's amazing that that kind of has manifested itself. And I have a couple of my books that are now in French and one that's getting translated into French. And I decided, even though this speaking engagement is coming up very soon, it's coming up next week, I decided I wanted to have a translator speak because I want to feel more confident. My tutor said that she feels that, oh, by this time next year, I could do the same engagement quite easily based on where I am in my fringe, but also how quickly I've been progressing because of just allowing myself to be dedicated to the rememory of French and all of the many years that I've been studying it. And so it's helping with the hustle because it's expanding how I'm thinking about my business in the world that I could be building now, not only just with Anglophones who live in Quebec or who are in France who speak English, but I can also be working with people directly in French because I have been joyfully dedicating myself to the craft. So now I'm going to need to take some business French to kind of course correct some habits I have. That's a whole other conversation, (laughs) but I do enjoy this thing that has been such a passion that came out of the beauty of language and connection and community is also now creating opportunity for me. And I'm excited that the next time I go meet my French publisher in Paris, I'll be able to speak with them with much more confidence. So it's also part of the hustle because the joy is the hustle. Mm -hmm. I love it. And you can go work for the UN and do human rights work eventually too. It'll make that so much easier. You know, that used to be one of the dreams I thought if I had that law degree (laughs) that I thought I might want to do. So I love it. You totally don't need the law degree. The French, you're Ah, right on track. (laughs) That's amazing. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jamia. It's just been such fun to have you on the show. Thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. And where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Jamia A. Wilson or on Twitter at Jamia W. And you can find me on my website at jamiawilson.org. Awesome. Thank Thank you. you, Au revoir. Au revoir.